Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast, all about real estate, the dirt, the deals, the people, the places, it's all here. I'm Marissa Luck, real estate reporter at Houston Chronicle. And I'm Rebecca Schutz, housing reporter at the Houston Chronicle. And today we have Greg McBride, who is the chief financial analyst at Bankrate.com, on the episode to discuss the housing market and what to expect in 2023. So it has just been a wild ride with home prices over the past couple years of the pandemic and there's just so much happening with the economy right now and inflation and greg is really knowledgeable about all of that so we thought it'd be great to have him on and kind of just break down for listeners what's going on with the housing market and mortgage rates and what we can expect for the rest of 2023 so nice to have you on greg it's great to be with you thanks for having me of course so i guess just to start can you go back to you know when when did we start to see the market kind of shift and go from this like pandemic boom into where we're at now. Yeah, it seemed to happen second quarter last year around the May timeframe and moving into the summer. You know, a lot of that spurred by uh, affordability issues and seeing that massive run up in home prices over the span of 18 months or so. But then last year, you also had this spike in mortgage rates. And so when you intersect those mortgage rates and the high home prices, that affordability sidelined millions of would-be buyers. And the effect that had on the market is it cooled very, very rapidly. Yeah. And I think that it was sort of shocking to people because there had been such a boom and then it was it just felt like all of a sudden the prices dropped. I mean, where are you seeing, I guess, home prices down the most? You know, which markets do you think are kind of seeing the biggest sort of shocks? <laughs> Those that are experiencing the shocks are the ones that experienced the biggest shocks on the way up. You know, and at the root of this, it was an imbalance between supply and demand. Even before the pandemic, the supply of homes available for sale had been running well below historical norms. And then we got to a point in the pandemic as things reopened and we were at mortgage rates that were at previously unseen lows and the work from home. Uh, economy where people could, they weren't necessarily tied to a particular high cost metro area. They could move someplace else. And so there was a ton of demand, ton of activity taking place at a time when demand was, or supply was still really, really low. So this massive imbalance between demand and supply, and that's what was pushing prices up. And in the markets that were, you had the biggest imbalance. Yeah, I think Austin's sort of been the poster child in Texas, at least, for that real estate boom that you had mentioned. But there was there was a broader migration 
to the Sun Belt that spurred a lot of housing demand across kind of the South, Southeast. Houston was definitely a benefactor of that, although we didn't get proportionally at the influx of people that some of these other markets had had. But I guess I was curious what you're hearing about in terms of that kind of great migration in quotes to the Sun Belt. Is that still happening? Are, are you still are we still seeing demand being supported by, like you mentioned, people working from home and moving to these other, you know, tertiary secondary markets? I think some of that depends on sort of what's the the context or time frame that we're looking at this. You know, when we have these real estate booms, those trends of of migration toward Sun Belt markets really go into to overdrive. But even when the real estate market is you know, much more placid. Even then, there's still a migration to those Sunbelt markets. Populations are growing in those areas. They're shrinking in you know, some other uh, states, particularly in the northern part of the country. So, for example, I've lived in South Florida for more than 35 years. There's been a migration that whole time. Now, it picks up speed. It may slow down, but it's a net migration that whole time. And that's not unique to where I live. I think there's you know, a lot of those Sunbelt markets, Arizona, much of Texas, uh, certainly fall into that. You know, even other areas, you know, Atlanta is another one that's that's really grown over time because you've got this constant stream of of, of this influx of, of residents. And so longer term, I think those trends are still very much intact. If you're going to measure it against 2020 and 2021, yes, it's going to look like it's really dropped off. But if you look at it from a standpoint of net migration, you know, those are the markets that are, populations are still growing. People are still moving in much more so than they're moving out. Yeah, I think in Houston, there's definitely still um, a lot of population growth that we hear about and migration that will be supporting demand. But to your point, it's it's more probably the time that you're comparing. You know, it's, it's people have sort of settled into, I think, their routine in terms of hybrid work, work from home. So I don't know if it's that same it was almost like that was like a historic, like once in a, I don't even know, generation type of event. I think that aspect of it was, yes. You know, the broader trends, you know, that that's kind of sustained this over a much longer period of time, decades, is better weather, lower taxation, lower property values relative uh, to other areas. And, and so those are, that that's kind of fueling a longer term trend. So we talked earlier about how affordability that has really sidelined millions of, of would-be home buyers, and that's why the market is cooled. And you know, affordability is still a central issue. But we've also been dealing with inflation that's been in a 40-year high. Affordability is an issue in life, not just in real estate. And so people that are looking for maybe a lower cost of living or just better quality of life, instead of being cooped up in an apartment in a metro area, you know, being in a place where you can have some some elbow room, that's what's going to fuel that migration, sustain that migration over a longer period of time. Yeah, and you mentioned, I, you know, affordability has been a hallmark of Houston's marketing in a way, like we're considered more affordable than even other Texas metros. And I think that even here though, the home prices proportionally for people who are living here seems like, you know, it's gone up a lot. So I think that we're definitely seeing some affordability concerns here. But one thing that, in addition to the run-up in you know the supply-demand imbalance, um, was the mortgage rates. Like you know, I think at one point mortgage rates had doubled, like were double what they were last year. Uh, what what are your sort of thoughts on mortgage rates in 2023? Where do you think they'll move, and kind of 
what's sort of driving the mortgage market right now? I think inflation and the health of the economy are going to be the key ingredients. I mean, mortgage rates, as we talk today, are still double what they were at the beginning of 2022. But inflation and the health of the economy are really going to be the fundamental factors this year. If inflation comes down quickly, we will we'll see mortgage rates come down quickly. Uh, but if inflation stays elevated, the Fed has to keep raising rates, that's going to keep a floor under mortgage rates. At one point, you had written something projecting that mortgage rates would average out to about 5.2. I'm, I'm trying to remember. 5.2%. Yeah, yeah, that's my annual interest rate forecast. And so that was a projection for where they're going to end the year. And I based that projection on an environment where the economy is going to hang in there the first half of the year. The Fed was going to be raising rates. Mortgage rates were going to you know, kind of bounce around, roller coaster up and down. But then the second half of the year, we'd see a broader economic weakening. That's where the worries of recession would really take hold. And then longer term rates would really start to slide. And that would bring mortgage rates down you know, pretty quickly, down you know, near the 5% mark. Okay. So, I mean, inflation is supposedly slowing down, right? But it's just not enough. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's just coming down very slowly. And it's not going to come down in a straight line. It's going to be like coming down a flight of stairs that's got a few landings along the way. Whenever I hear a new, you know, consumer price index come out, you know, it's like, oh, is inflation went down. What was it like? I can't remember. I'd have to look at it. It was less like, oh, the inflation isn't as bad as it was like previously. But as a consumer, I'm just like, well, it still feels really expensive <laughs> out there. It is. I mean, it's it, it, inflation. You know, when we talk about inflation coming down, we're not talking about the cost of living coming down. We're talking about it not going up as fast as it had been. But when we look at the consumer price index and, and, and not just that, but other inflation barometers, when you look beneath the surface, a lot of the categories that still show consistent increases month in, month out, and at a faster than normal pace are categories that are all household necessities, food, energy, shelter, all of the staples of the household budget. So when people say, I don't feel like inflation's coming down, they're absolutely right. Because a lot of those household categories that chew up the bulk of the household budget every month, they're not prices or pressures are not easing yet. Yeah, I just want to underscore that point. Like inflation slowing down doesn't mean that prices are going down. They're just not going up as fast. And I think that's a good point too about home prices. When I talk to when I'm interviewing, like sometimes I'll interview, you know, home buyers and they'll say, like, oh, well, I'm gonna wait for home prices to come down. And it's like I think it's important to realize that even though we're the prices are quote down, you know, the price of a home today is still, you know, much higher depending on what market you're looking in, you know, it could be double digits higher than it was pre-pandemic, right? So it's like relative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it may be down relative to last April or May, but it's still higher than it was a year or so ago. And in a lot of places, you know, home prices are 30, 40, 50% higher now than they were in 2019. And then the other thing to look at is your monthly payment, you know, like taking into account the interest rate as well, like what your monthly budget going towards your mortgage payment is going to be. Like may maybe the price tag on the home has gone down, but like the thing you need to think about when you're buying is how much can you afford every month. And to put that in context, the mortgage rate run up that we've been talking about, that alone stripped as much buying power uh, away as a 35% increase in home prices. You know, even holding home prices steady 
the rise in mortgage rates alone you rob you of basically a third of your buying power. That's crazy. And and I, I, I'm trying to help like, you know, our listeners understand ties between inflation and what the Fed is trying to do with the mortgage market. So could you just kind of explain how, like the Fed doesn't set mortgage rates, right? So how, how are the Fed's actions linked to what ultimately ends up happening with mortgage rates? Yeah, you're right. The Fed does not set mortgage rates. Uh, they don't even have a direct impact on mortgage rates, but they can certainly have an influence on what happens with mortgage rates. Mortgage rates do tend to be tied to longer term rates. What the Federal Reserve does have control over is not longer term rates, but shorter term rates. What the Federal Reserve does is basically they control the price of money. And those shorter term rates that they control, that can be the tide that lifts all the ships. So if we think back 12 months ago, and before the Fed started to raise rates, we started to see mortgage rates go up. But why were we seeing mortgage rates go up before the Fed had started raising rates? Because everybody knew they were going to start raising rates and they were talking about starting to raise rates. So everybody knew the price of money was going to go up. So even before they took action, mortgage rates were off to the races. There, there's def very definitely an influence. Uh, the fact that mortgage rates have doubled over the last year has everything to do with the fact that the Fed's been raising rates. But it's not as simple as hearing on the news that the Federal Reserve is having a meeting and they're going to raise interest rates and saying, oh, okay, I guess that means mortgage rates are going to go up the day after. doesn't work that way. Mortgage rates tend to move well in advance of actual uh, moves that the Fed makes. So I know, obviously, we've been hearing about the Fed trying to have a quote unquote soft landing with the economy. I mean, new kind of dip into more of a recession. What would that look like for the housing market? And and you know, how how is this recession different than the Great Recession? Well, as it pertains to the housing market, night and day difference. Uh, you know, the the Great Recession Great Recession was brought on by a collapse in, in housing. And you know, a lot of that run-up prior to that had been on the back of loans that never should have been issued. People were given loans that they they couldn't repay, and it was you know a matter of time before those chickens came home to roost. And when they did, the housing market collapsed. People defaulted on loans. Investors that held investments that with those loans in them lost a lot of money. And so you brought it brought down not just the housing market but the overall economy and almost the entire global financial system. But the, the sort of the linchpin on that was shoddy underwriting, people getting loans that they should never have gotten. And that's the night and day difference from where we are now. We're not immune from economic cycles. We're going to have periods where the economy expands. We're going to have periods where the economy is in recession. We're not immune from that. But what has changed dramatically from now, say, to the to, since the great financial crisis, is that the loans that are being taken out now are for highly qualified borrowers, high credit score, sufficient income, debt ratios that are in line. The major, vast majority of homeowners or home buyers have been taking fixed rate mortgages. And I'd, so again, I think even in a scenario where housing is slowing, even if we do have an economic recession, you're not going to see the type of fallout that we saw last time where you've got a market that's just flooded with foreclosures and distressed loans and home prices falling 20 or 30% or, or even more. Yeah, and I think one of the things when we're talking about underwriting is like, if the underwriting is better, then hopefully there'll be less foreclosures. And it was 
the wave of foreclosures that really brought down home prices in neighborhoods, right? And it created this spiral. And the hope is like that people will be able to weather a recession better. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. you know we talk about home prices, and, yeah. you know, the, the the impact of supply and demand. You know, just as home prices ran up in 2020 and 2021, when you had a, a massive amount of demand but a very limited supply of homes available for sale, the reason home prices came crashing down a great financial crisis is because you suddenly had this massive supply of homes coming on the market through foreclosures and distressed sales, and not that many buyers, right? So you had to be you know, a lot of supply, not a lot of demand that pushed prices down. So we're in a situation now where even though demand has really fallen off, the supply is still pretty limited. You know, there's just not a lot, particularly in those entry-level price ranges below $300,000. So that limited supply could keep prices up as a result. Yeah, I think even in that, you know, even if we do have a recession, I, I, I don't think that necessarily pretends sharp drops in home prices because that limited supply, even at reduced demand levels, it keeps keeps a floor under prices. So we'll have to see what happens with the economy, but just the, the employment picture is, is really different uh, than the Great Recession. We still have strong employment. So, I mean, I remember I had a really good friend whose mom, it was a single mom, iron worker. She got her first house and I don't really know what the underwriting was, but she got maybe how she couldn't afford lost her job during the Great Recession in the construction industry, and she didn't get a foreclosed house. But I, you know, that kind of scenario, I think, was really common during the Great Recession, where you had homeowners who just couldn't seem to get back on their feet, and it just sort of dragged on for years and years. And I think, I guess, what I'm hearing more broadly, and I don't know, maybe you can add to this is just even though we are hearing about tech layoffs so far, it doesn't seem like it's as severe of an employment. I mean, in Houston, where our, our um, economic local Greater Houston Partnership is still projecting a net gain in, I think, I want to say six over 60,000, I can't quite remember, jobs this year. So, I mean, that that to me seems like a material difference from the last recession. Excellent point. And yes, I, we were coming from a period, from a point of real strength in the labor market. National unemployment rate is the lowest since the 1960s. There are 11 million open jobs in the economy right now. There's fewer than 6 million unemployed people in the in the labor force. So, yes, the labor market is very, very strong. You know, If the economy does cool as expected, you won't have 11 million open jobs. Uh, we will see more layoffs, and you'll see that spread beyond tech. But starting from such a position of strength in the labor market... Virtually every forecast that I've seen economically, even those calling for recession, are almost universally calling for a very mild recession. And a lot of that is is sort of pinned on the strength that we continue to see in the labor market and the fact that it's coming from, you know, unemployment would be coming from a very low level. Another point that you started to touch on was the underwriting standards are much more stringent at the same time, though, I am hearing anecdotally when I talk to realtors and home buyers, an increased interest in adjustable rate mortgages, um, or you know, or other sort of sorts of mortgages. I'm curious if you know how are adjustable rate mortgages today perhaps different than where they were, you know, back in '08. Yeah, just to put a little bit of context on that. So last year, when mortgage rates were really spiking up, you did see increased interest in 
adjustable rate mortgages. But just to put that in context, it went from 3% of applications to 10% of applications. Uh, so e even then, the vast majority of borrowers still taking fixed rate mortgages. By contrast, back in the housing boom, the 2004, 2005, 2006 days where if you could fog a mirror, you could get a loan. And I'm not even sure that was a firm requirement. But even back in those those times, adjustable rate mortgages were 40 and 50% of loan applications. So not only did you have much weaker standards and much more e exotic products that that really had no business uh, being paired up with with mainstream borrowers, you had this very high level of interest in those products. And that that put all that together, it made for a poisonous potion for the housing market and the overall economy. So I guess, what would you tell people who are like thinking about this product today? Well, you know, a lot of the borrowers that are looking at adjustable rate mortgages, the product they're looking at is what's called a hybrid adjustable rate. So in other words, it's fixed for the first five years and then becomes adjustable. And there are instances where that can be a very savvy move. If this is a home that it's, it's your starter home, you don't feel like you're going to be there forever, your family's going to grow or your family's going to shrink or you're subject to a job transfer or whatever, you're not going to have that home and you're not going to have that loan forever. That can be a pretty savvy move because if your timetable pans out, it essentially functions as a fixed rate loan. You, you, you never see the day when it becomes adjustable. So I think that's the best use of it. Where I don't like the use of it is if using it as a crutch of affordability where, oh, gee, I can't afford this house on a fixed rate mortgage at six and a half percent. Gee, uh, maybe I'll take this adjustable rate at five and a half percent. I did just interview a home buyer who was saying that their fixed rate more in Houston, they have a fixed rate for 10 years, I think, and then it goes up. So, I mean, 10 years is a long time. I think, you know, I hear a lot of realtors saying like, oh, well, you can just refinance. But I think it's important to underscore that what you said, you should be able to still, even if you're taking on this kind of product should be able to still afford the house. Like um, there was a analogy that one realtor, Houston realtor, um, I think it was Aaron Daly said, like, it's kind of like the difference between you like you want to feel really comfortable with the mortgage you're taking out like a good pair of sweatpants after Thanksgiving, you know, instead of buying a pair of skinny jeans and hoping you can like fit into your skinny jeans, like get the comfy pants, you know, get the get the loan that that you're going to be financially comfortable with and not have it be contingent on, you know, a certain lower mortgage rate. I mean, obviously that's easier said than done for people and affordability is a concern, but I think that hopefully people are are not, you know, overstretching themselves as much. I mean, I guess we'll we'll have to see what happens, but yeah, I would agree. You got to take a loan that you can can live with. Uh do not bank on this idea of, well, I'll just refinance later because that's contingent on a whole lot of things, none of which are in your control. If you take a loan now, it's, I, I would say it's one, you have to be, be prepared to live with it. And if the opportunity arises to refinance that into something more attractive at some point down the road, then yeah, that's a bonus. Yeah. So I guess, you know, in Houston, we just had our, I think, 10th consecutive month of home sales falling, uh, home sales volume falling. Um, home prices, the average was about 381000 uh, in January, which was only 1.5% higher than a year ago. Um, the average prices had hit a record of uh, 438000 in May. And I, I guess I'm just sort of wondering if you could speak to the people that are sort of trying to decide with home prices, sort of average home prices ticking down slightly, 
and you know mortgage rates seeming like they're under control. How how should people decide? Should they move forward with buying, or if the recession is indeed going to be shallow, as you said, like should they just kind of wait it out and see? Maybe you know maybe this recession's only a year, and they can just kick the can down the road a little bit longer. Like how how should people kind of go about making that decision? Well, I think you, in a lot of ways, you know, you look at it like getting married. You got to be in it for the long haul and you got to be prepared for the, the commitment that comes with it. You now, buying a house is expensive. It costs you thousands of dollars in transaction costs to get in. It costs you tens of thousands of dollars in transaction costs to get out. Uh, and so, you know, this is view it through a, a long-term lens. And this is where you're going to live. There, there are areas in life to take risks and then there are areas in life not to take risks and you know the stability of you know the roof over your head and uh, being able to make the mortgage payments every month you know qualifies as one of those areas of life where you don't want to take a lot of risks having certainty is 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 a good thing so fixed rate mortgage it may not be the best loan in every single circumstance as we outlined a moment ago but it is your best gauge of affordability you've talked a lot about inflation and mortgage rates is there any other large kind of factors that will impact the, the housing market in 2023? The, the, we talked about the strength of the job market, but you know that's, that's also linked to the health of the economy. And so now if the economy does weaken, if we do have a recession, that dents demand. Yes, mortgage rates would likely fall in that scenario, but some of the lowest points at mortgage rates in history have been at times where the housing market was comatose. Well, why? Because, well, when the economy stinks, nobody wants to buy a house, right? Yeah, that's just not an environment where people are necessarily looking to put their neck out and and, and take a bigger risk. One thing I was wondering, too, is, you know, we've heard about sellers being forced to cut their asking price or having to make more concessions and, you know, more supply coming online. Is it still a, a seller's market? Is it a buyer's market? Technically, you know, we're still under six months of supply, which is sort of the benchmark for buyers and sellers market. But you also hear, you know, of, of sellers having to to make more concessions to, to close the deal. So what's your take on, you know, are we in a buyer's or seller's market now? I think it's more of a balanced market. And it was okay. wrong seller's market for so long where you know, people were lined up down the sidewalk to get into an open house and you know, they had seven or eight offers by the end of the day. And, you know, it was a game of leapfrog to, you know, see who can bid the most. That's that's not the market we're in right now. Now it's it's a balanced market. It's certainly a better environment for, for buyers. It's not great, but it's better in the sense that you have the ability to do your homework. You don't have to buy a place sight unseen. You don't have to bid beyond your price range because you're trying to leapfrog over other offers. The national... Association of Home Builders came out with a report saying that home builder confidence is up. Does it seem like the housing market could be turning a corner now? Or is it like too early to say and these are just like optimistic people? <laughs> well, I, I, it, you know, it, the, the market may be have, have sort of bottomed out, but, you know, it's like taking the elevator from the 20th floor down to the fifth floor and then back up to the sixth floor. Yeah, you're higher than you were at the fifth floor, but you're still a lot lower than you were at the 20th floor. And so, you know, mortgage applications are still down 70 some percent relative to where they were a year ago. Is there anything else that like, when you're just talking to people about the housing market that they're usually surprised by or questions they tend to ask you? Well, I, I think for first time buyers, you kind of look 
well beyond the monthly mortgage payment. You know, and and that in and of itself has gone up dramatically because of higher rates. So those higher rates have robbed you of a third of your buying power relative to where it was at the beginning of, of 2022. But even that, that doesn't encompass all of the costs of, of homeownership. There's a lot more that goes beyond that. You've got property taxes, property insurance, even just getting into the home, you're going to have closing costs. You're going to have to make a big down payment. Uh, and then once you get moved in, you're gonna have, you're gonna want new stuff for you know you're you're gonna want new furniture for this room you're gonna want to paint that you want to change this change that and then things break it's like hooking a, a car vac up to your wallet it just sucks the cash right out of there and so I you know I, that's one that particularly for first time buyers I've found that, that you know that tends to catch them a little bit off guard and if they either beforehand or after the fact but sooner or later the reality of, of all those additional expenses. Uh, it, it does kind of slap you in the face. Owning a home is great, but you don't want it to come at the expense of accomplishing other financial goals, whether that's paying down other debt, you know, saving for your kid's education, saving for your own retirement. You still need to be able to do all those too. And so it's it's important to you know, view your finances holistically and, and not just have the blinders on of getting into that home, getting into that home, getting into that home, because yeah, the expenses certainly don't stop once you move in. Well, thank you, uh, Greg, for coming on and and chatting with us. It's just interesting to get kind of a more of a national picture. If uh, listeners want to follow your work, where's the best place to find your your work or to connect with you? I, uh, you know, we could certainly I certainly invite uh, listeners to check out our our website, bankrate.com. Uh, you know, me personally, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at bankrate Greg. Well, thank you again, Greg. We appreciate your time. Um, And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you ever want to reach out for a story suggestion or just say hi, you can reach me at MarissaLuck7 on Twitter. And Rebecca is, I'm at R-A-Shoots. That's R-A-S-C-H-U-E-T-Z. Thank you again to our print editors, Brian Rausch and Gabby Banks. And thank you to Farrell Gibbs and his band, All the Kimonos, for the theme music. And of course, thank you listeners. Until next time.